Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey guys, welcome back to Soul Sisters. I'm your host, Jesse Katz. We have a real soul sister on the show for you today. Although she doesn't actually approve of the term soul music as it applies to her, but a lot of people would argue with her on that. Her name is Betty Lavette. She has been in the business since she was 16 years old when she was touring with the likes of Otis Redding, Benny King, James Brown. She came up in Detroit with Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder. It's a real veteran of the Motown era. She's now 72 years old. And she is in many ways hitting the stride of her career. It's taken her a long time to get there. And uh, she's doing it. And she is a badass lady. I had a great talk with her. It was just me and her for this one. No Dara. Um, which was a little intimidating because Betty LeVette, she actually, she has a t-shirt that she sells at our merch table that she brought in and, and gave to me and our other crew here. On the front, it's a picture of her looking perfectly badass. And on the back, it says, Betty LeVette, she will fuck you up. And guys, that is exactly the way you feel when you stare into her eyes at a podcast table. I think you will hear it in our conversation. Um, really wise woman, such a talent. Check her out. She has a new album that just came out in March called Things Have Changed. It's an album of Bob Dylan covers, actually, which is fascinating to talk to her about also. So you will he hear all of that here. Um, just a reminder, you can also watch this on YouTube, on Billboard's YouTube channel. You can see the whole conversation filmed. And be sure to subscribe to Soul Sisters on iTunes if you haven't already. And follow us on Instagram at Soul Sisters Podcast. Okay, that's all I have for you. Here is Betty Lavette on Soul Sisters. Betty Lavette on Soul Sisters, thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for asking me. Of course. Um, I have to acknowledge that the name of the show is Soul Sisters and kind of get <laughs> into this with you for a second, because in many ways you embody what the name of our show suggests. Well, thank you. You are an <laughs> ultimate soul singer, although I've read you have mixed feelings about that term for yourself and, and just the idea that you sing soul music and what soul music even is. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Or are it's, you okay with it now? Um, no, I'm no, I'm not okay with it now. It came after I did. Why should I get okay with it? Yeah, yeah. I think you need to get okay with the fact that I'm a rhythm and blues singer, and mm -hmm. Mariah Carey isn't, and that uh, <laughs> anyone who sings soulful is a soul singer. Yeah, I'm a rhythm and blues singer, and soul singer is a. My husband and I actually have, have argued about this a little bit because he's. Um, 
a record aficionado and and just and I'm not I'm just a rhythm and blues singer uh-huh. but I know that when I first started singing no one called me a soul singer I've right. never referred to myself as that and I've never heard of any of my contemporaries refer to themselves as that yeah. now, however when I'm traveling say if I'm talking to someone who does not speak speak English who's only heard about American music, uh-huh. and I'm trying to explain what I do. Then I will say soul singer, and they say yes. Okay, because it's if a I shortcut. I said that before 1964, they still would have had the same question mark on their face because yeah. <laughs> I just never heard anybody say it before that. Who can you give us an example of someone that is a soul singer to you? Anyone who sings soulfully, okay. Enrico Caruso. Okay. Anyone who sings soulfully with with all their heart and soul. Yeah. <clears throat> But other than that, he's a classical singer and uh-huh. I'm a rhythm and blues singer. Right. Okay. That's you go pigeonhole for... people, put them in the right <laughs> hole. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> um, okay. So I feel like we have a big challenge ahead of us right now, which is to tell the story of Betty Levette in 30 minutes, which is basically impossible. Ah! I mean, books will be written. Probably a movie will be made at some point. Definitely extensive oh, articles have been written. Yes. <laughs> but really, I mean, there's so much there. So we can't we can't do it. I won't ask us to do that. But Well, the book is already out. Oh, oh, the book you wrote. A, it's That's called right. A Woman Like Me. That is true. Yeah. And there's probably not much left to write because you kind of yeah. spilled it all on that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there will be no right. sequel. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um I guess the way that I would like to try to get into this conversation with you is by framing it through what we kind of try to achieve on the show, which is talking to women in music who have inspiring stories to share based on how they broke into the business and how they carved their own way. And your story has uh, inspiring lessons in it and it has discouraging lessons in it and it's kind of the full bag, right? But, you know, you're sitting here now the name Betty Lavette really means something. Your voice means a lot to a lot of people, and you have a new album coming out. So clearly, at this point, we can look at your career and say it is inspiring. So I just kind of want to focus on the moments that maybe young aspiring musicians are looking for when they hear someone talk to you and try to figure out exactly how, at the end of the day, you made it all work. You know, because you started out very young, and you had some things going against you if you just look at your early biography well, being very young was the biggest one right sure <laughs> not That's just young but the biggest one right but also you got pregnant very young you got married very young um for anyone even now those would be big barriers especially in the 60s that doesn't exactly foretell a big career that's about to happen for and somebody. the way i did all three of them they didn't foretell right a big career. <laughs> right <laughs> so how i mean can you can we just kind of dwell on those few years of your teenage life and so you can help us understand how those kind of life milestones happened and you still were able to record your first record a successful record at that I um the things that happened um in the 60s happened so fast especially in music. Yeah. I mean I was m- pregnant and married and on the Atlantic record label all inside a year. You know, so it wasn't Crazy. like there was a lifelong right. work <laughs> right. going on on any of it. You know, it I, I like shouldn't have been I shouldn't have been involved in anything that I was involved in, yeah. other than the ninth grade or the tenth grade. <laughs> right. But um, 
I think the first thing that I would say, not to, to young aspiring people, but because it seems now so easy with going on television and in 13 weeks you're on the front of Vogue or whatever, I think parents should know that there are no children in show business. I don't care if they started 10, 5, there are no children in show business. Meaning that it steals meaning your childhood that, from you? Meaning that if you are going to, the people who are trying to force their children now to become these stars, yeah. that's exactly what you're going to get. You are not going to get a child back. Mm. Do you <laughs> feel like that happened to you? Oh, for sure. I mean, I wasn't even hanging with uh, big stars. I was just saying, hanging with grown, drunk people <laughs> right. who danced and told jokes and sung and wore makeup and shiny suits and shoes. And I was 16 and I loved every one of them, the bad ones, the good <laughs> ones, because I was 16. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I, I was actually asking you, you were you know, hanging out with older folks who were maybe having kind of nefarious behavior going on and you were falling into that, what were your parents thinking? Well, I was thinking? acting like them. Okay. <laughs> were you rebelling? Like, no, what, no. What was no, your... No, I've just always wanted to be grown. Right. Nobody's ever done anything. But were my parents, parents were trying to check you? Or? <laughs> no, my parents were... Um, I was the first person in my family to ever make $100 in one day. And just Which as was it was, what? probably with Justin Bieber's mother. I mean, yeah. <laughs> right? none of the rest of his sixth grade uh, people who <laughs> were making thousands of dollars right, a night. Right. And for most parents, as it was for Shirley Temple's mother and my mother and father, right. they weren't, and they admired these people as well, you know. So it so wasn't like I was hanging with a gang or right. something. I was hanging with people that they admire. Yeah, these were musicians you were hanging yeah. with. Okay. You know, the local stars and yeah. whatever. And they'd heard them on the radio and they were proud that I was with them. Yeah. So how exactly did you fall into that group? How did you start singing professionally? I started out as a groupie. Okay. <laughs> but I was only a groupie for a week. I actually went for my first groupieing and <laughs> met the people on the show and Who were you a groupie for? Who was it? No, it wasn't it was just for anybody that was on, the, on the stage. Show? It okay. was just the people who went on the stage. In Detroit. Yes. Okay. But a professional groupie. <laughs> whose name was Sherma Lovett, no less. Okay. She introduced me to all of these people. One of them was a produ producer who introduced me to his producer. And at the end of the week, I was a singer. And it literally happened that fast. And at the end of the next week, I had a record on Atlantic. That's and at crazy. the end of the next week, I had a record in the charts. And what did you and think? I was as amazed as you are. Yeah. <laughs> You were and you were sixteen when that happened. Mm -hmm. So you had a baby, who your mother was helping you raise. My mother and my sister. Okay, yeah. and then did you have to go on the road? Were you touring? Oh, I was waiting to go on the road. Uh huh. Uh, so I went on the road. This happened in August. Okay. Uh, my daughter was born in in June. Uh huh. This happened in August. I went on the road in December. Oh my gosh! And were you basically? On the road for the next decade? Um, no, for maybe the next year because mm. it it um, I didn't have a follow up record, so everything started to slow down. Got it. And I almost immediately became, after becoming a national artist, I almost immediately became a local artist. Yeah, which are two different things. So I learned mm. how to do two things in like a year or so. Right. Um, and then what was your what was your scene? 
Who were you hanging with then after that? Oh, I was just going here. to the bars where the people who were advertised on the radio were performing. Okay. But treated with much greater respect because I had then been on the road with some huge stars. Uh-huh. And albeit it only happened for a year, right. it hadn't happened to anybody else there. Right. You know, so <laughs> including all the people at Motown, save Smokey Robinson and Mary Wells. Mm. So, and probably Marv Johnson, but I had um, that year was quite something. It, uh, it gave me enough panache to say, hey, I can, New York is calling. Right. No. <laughs> Didn't call? No. I, mi- <laughs> I misunderstood what I was hearing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what were you thinking at the time? Because your your voice was kind of right out of the gate, this amazing thing that it is now, right? I mean, th- that voice and what people talk about now that you have this um, very unusual break in your voice and that you emote in a way that's very distinct and unusual, you exhibited that at a very young age, right? Well, I exhibited some components of Right. It. I'm sure it, it developed. I didn't learn to emote until years later. As far as I'm concerned, I didn't learn to sing for 25 years after I started. Oh, yeah? You know, to my satisfaction, but um, I used to, I sounded like um, a Minnie Mouse who sounded like <laughs> James Brown. You know, but my voice didn't sound... Light and mellifluous the way the Shirelles and the other girls who were singing did, you know. So I didn't like my voice for a long while. I, because you thought they're having more success than yeah. me. So, so I thought that if must I sounded more like Doris Day, I'd be more successful. Yeah. Did you so, try? Did you try to mimic that No, style? I tried to. I thought if I learned the songs, okay, I would have to sing them that way, and that would just automatically elevate my voice to that. Right. So there was a lot of frustration for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And just not using my voice correctly and just being young and stupid, I um, injured my voice a lot, not permanently, but for the time being, because if I had a three-night gig, I'd do the one night and everybody would applaud, which went immediately to my head. So the next <laughs> night when I got there, I'd have on my little glad rags. I'd talk to everybody, then over sing. Uh-huh. The next night, I <laughs> Your voice talk. is gone? <laughs> yep. Did you ever study? Yes, after like I'd been voice? singing about 10 years, I okay. learned I learned that I'm never going to sing like Doris Day. Okay. And I learned the best thing to do with my voice and how to take care of it and when to push, when not to push, keys to use, just what to do with it. And I had a guiding hand there in Jim Lewis, who was my first manager, telling me lots of things that I didn't listen to for a full 10 or 15 years. Uh-huh. Like what? <laughs> Shut up and go to bed. <laughs> Useful advice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's what I tell all young What's the best thing you can tell me? Yeah. Shut up and go to bed. <laughs> Do you think you were born a musician, like it was going to happen no matter what? No, but I think I was born an adult. Ah, okay. So I was going to do something, if not illegal, nefarious. It was going to be something that wasn't like the rest of my ninth grade class. Uh-huh. <laughs> what music were you into in the 60s when you were getting started? I've always liked all music. Okay. I, my parents, um, when we uh, before we came to Detroit, I was born in Muskegon, Michigan, uh-huh. and we had a jukebox in our living room. My parents sold corn liquor. And if you wanted a drink in 1946 in Muskegon, Michigan, you had to come to my house because you couldn't oh, yeah? go to a bar. 
not if you were black. Uh-huh. So that was where everybody after work was, and all the tunes were on the jukebox. My father was a gospel and blues aficionado. My okay. mother was country western gospel and some of the contemporary stuff, and my sister was a teenager. So I had the contemporary stuff, and contemporary then meant Ray Charles, Lil um, uh, Lester, uh, well, Sam Cooke was still with the Soul Stirs, but was soon to um, be a rhythm and blues singer. Mm-hmm. So I thought that they were all just singers. I didn't know that they were different kinds of singers. So right. I knew as many songs by blues singers as I did by Roy Rogers and Dale right. Evans and Red <laughs> Foley. And they were just songs yeah. to me. Right. <laughs> when you started meeting some of those stars like you know when you start meeting a James Brown or a Benny King or someone like that was there any disillusionment like or were they what you imagined them to be oh no they were what I imagined them to be because I was still a groupie I just had a a (laughs) legal license to be with them then right (laughs) but I stood outside Clyde McFadders when I came off stage I went directly to his dressing room door and just stood there until he came out yeah you were still a fan (laughs) yeah um so you have an album of Bob Dylan covers coming out this month. What was your relationship with Dylan's music back then? There wasn't any. Yeah. No, I mean, there really wasn't any. His yeah. music wasn't played on black radio. Uh-huh. Everybody did, blowing in the wind. And um, then knock on heaven's door, everybody black. Right. And I didn't see any room there for me to uh, do his music until way later on. And then some of his songs... Um, I recorded, before I did this album, I had done three other of his songs, uh, strictly because the songs were funny and entertaining to me. But I never sat down and studied his music or mm-hmm. thought of him as a great writer. I took everybody's word because the people who said he was a great writer, <laughs> I admire. Uh-huh. So, I feel like yeah. that's a relationship a lot of people have with Shakespeare. Ah, <laughs> like acknowledge that they he's right, the best, right, but right. they actually don't Absolutely. enjoy reading Shakespeare. Absolutely, that was a perfect example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like you have that relationship with a lot of music that you are known for covering that you didn't necessarily love it, but you have somehow still become this great interpreter of it, like British Invasion music. Well, they're just words on a piece of paper. Yeah. And if uh, Mahalia Jackson sings them, they're gospel. If I sing them, right. they're rhythm and blues. If yeah. Led Zeppelin sings them, they're rock and roll. But it's um, the singer determines what kind of song it is. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly the uh, songs that I did in, um, say, Scene of the Crime, like the Georgia Jones tune, certainly it was no longer country western when I sung it. Right. Yeah. How much thought goes into interpreting a song like that? Like, what actually is your process? There isn't a process. I. Uh, it's just doing it in your style? It would be a process if I was trying to learn to talk or sing like the other person. Right. But it's not a great big process to sound exactly like myself. Right. <laughs> and that always amazes thing. me when people say, how do you make the song your own? Because yeah. it's easier than trying to sound like Stevie Wonder. Right. I mean, I can, I can just really sound like this naturally. Yeah. So there's no process. It's when the song comes out of my mouth, it sounds different because I'm somebody else. Right. No, that's true. <laughs> I guess people are surprised by the emotion that they feel hearing you sing a song well, that they've never experienced before. it's the record. The thing that does it for you guys is the record. 
Right. But it's the song that does it for me. I could read the words and just feel the same way. Yeah. But because I can sing, I get a chance to act out what I feel. Yeah. But it's the words that make me feel one way or the other. I'm often um, frightened that I will hear a melody because I like melodies. And I believe that a song should be able to be hummed or whistled in the shower or whatever. Uh-huh. So I'm afraid often when I hear a melody that I like that the words won't make any sense. Because then I can't sing it because I can't sing songs that don't make any sense. Right. <laughs> Have you written songs? Very few. Okay. Very few. So no. that that that's not a part of the process that inspires you. I don't have you, any or... ideas. I just because I'm bossy and pushy, I like to take your ideas and change right, okay. them around. <laughs> it's worked. <laughs> um, did you ever like really consider giving up music, or did you always figure you would oh, make yeah. it work somehow? Every time. Can I say anything? I want to say anything. Every time the sugar turns to shit. Yeah. <laughs> quit. Then like if the when? phone if the phone rings like thirty minutes later. I'm back in it. Yeah, but what does quit mean? Did, like, did you ever quit actually turn to another no. job? No, no. Okay. No, don't let it get to that. Yeah, yeah. I just poke my mouth out for a while <laughs> and cry for several you just days. Just announce you're done. You know, like when my first album didn't come out for the second time, I uh, right. That's still I can think about that now and and conjure up tears. It hurt so so bad, and it was so embarrassing. Yeah, but so, it gave it added a lot of when I sing those tunes from that album now I I'm just subject to breakdown just thinking about how much it hurt me that it didn't come out. Yeah, can you explain exactly what went on? And is it true we don't know why they never put it out? Well, we we know now. I didn't know that um, Ahmed Erdogan and Jerry Wexler had, had a parting of the ways. Okay. Uh, Jerry Wexler was kind of in my corner. Ahmed Erdogan was kind of in Aretha's corner. Okay. And I came out on a losing end because rock was and the British invasion was coming on so fast. So what year so is Ahmed this? So Ahmed Erdogan actually had a winning hand over uh, Jerry Wexler and the type of music that Jerry wanted to hear. What year was this? Uh, 60th, 72. So 72. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So you find out the record's not coming out. They canceled the tour that you had planned for it, right? And then what did you do? I got up under the dining room table with several gallons of wine and just stayed there. Yeah. Till the phone rang. Because <laughs> you thought that's it. Yeah, well, every time it, I, I just thought that was it. Yeah. Year before last. <laughs> 
But somehow it always turns around on its own. Well, now it it it's more likely to turn around because my name has reached more broader shores. So right. someone is liable to call from anywhere now. But then the uh, people who knew me were so few, so everything looked so bleak and did. But some there was always somebody. Well, I have your record from 1962, and it's now 1964, and so I want to do this. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty much happened about every. Every three or four years, whether it became a national thing uh-huh. or whether indeed it even came out, someone has asked me to record mm-hmm. about every three or four years. So what do you, what do you make of that? Oh, I now um, take it as a badge of honor. Um, but do you take credit for oldest, that? I've got to be the oldest person in show business with a new record contract. There you go. Other people have a record contract, but not a new one, <laughs> not if they're 72. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm really grateful, and I hearken here again back to Jim Lewis. He said, I don't know, if I can't promise you that you'll ever be a star, but if you learn lots of songs and take care of your voice, you can sing the rest of your life. Yeah. And are you able to feel grateful for that, or do you have to fight back? still some resentment that it took so long to oh, feel, I feel comfortable. resentment about different things, but I'm very, very grateful, and, and I feel very, very privileged. But I know what I had to contribute to make it so. I mean, they didn't have to come and get me out of a car right. sleeping on the streets, and they, I looked just like this when they finally called. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean, did you have periods where you were watching, like, an Aretha or Diana Ross kind of ascent? And, and I could see them real close because I was in Detroit. Right. <laughs> and were you scratching your head, like... Were you confused why they were having that kind of luck? No. or <clears throat> because I knew everything I needed. I just couldn't yeah. understand why I couldn't get it. But it, it yeah. isn't, um, you don't think after a while, well, I can sing better than them, or mm. well, I don't see why. I need distribution. I need a big record company. I need some money. And that's the way I looked at it, period. Yeah. I just need somebody to send it. It's not even a matter of who does it best. Right. It's just pragmatic. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Um, all right. So let's look at like the last, what is it, 10, 13 years mm-hmm. that have kind of been For this latest. Cre- yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. It's been working. This is the first one of the five that's worked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what is it? It's like... So you put out I Got My Own, own Hell to Raise, mm-hmm. which critics loved. People loved it, right? Very well received. But maybe um, your reputation still wasn't as wide as it should well, have been. the one that actually started this was a woman like me, which okay. I won a Blues Music Award for. Okay. So that was really how this fifth career started. Yeah. Uh, uh, hell to Raise, actually, uh, to be frank with you. Yeah. I would expect the nothing less. The record company forgot to submit it. Oh, for Grammys, right? And I was so grateful. Um, did you punch a wall over Bonnie, that one? Or what no, did you do? Bonnie, Raitt, Bonnie Raitt called them. She did everything Bonnie she Raitt could did? Yes, to try and get them to either re-vote oh, or wow. look at it again or, or something. I mean, we were, we were de- well, we're still devastated about it when we talk about it. Yeah. Do you have a relationship with Bonnie? Or she's a fan well, of yours? Or? She, she has been a very good friend and a great, great supporter. Yeah. She was instrumental in my getting uh, the R&B award. And, in fact, the first time that I went there, she had insisted that they invite me. And I went to um, 
to give award posthumously to uh, Jackie Wilson. That was the very first time I had even been invited mm-hmm. uh, to them. But she uh, has been a great, great champion. Yeah. So, so that out. The first album came out when early two thousands. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Is he good? Or so what? good. <laughs> he did my homework for me. <laughs> And five, I got that. And then Kennedy Center Honors is 2008. And that seemed to have really been, oddly, the real game changer of this well, latest chapter. as I said, I need for lots of people to see me at one time. Right. I would have done that same show for $50 a night somewhere else, but <laughs> only 20 people would have seen it. Yeah. You know, so I didn't get good for the Kennedy Center Honors. More people saw it. Yeah, and that was it. Now, you guys reached out to them about you performing for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> because George Jones was being honored? Yeah, and I had just done uh, the album with the George Jones tune on it. But okay. uh, so many people were coming to do to honor him. Right. Um, he said, the only song that's left is this song by the who. And I said, the what? Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't necessarily a more logical fit for you, ah! but you made it work. But uh, it... Um, I just separated it again from the recording right? and took the lyrics and uh, tried to uh, comprise my thing around the words. And uh, I asked the uh, music director, can I please just sing this to you? I just sung it to him a cappella, and yeah. he started to play. And then he told the rest of them, just lay out for a moment until he developed what he wanted to put around it. And then he, um, Rob Mathis, he uh, went on to be my uh, co-producer on um, interpretations. Uh And it was the same thing again. I mean, I had never heard these songs. And the people I was recording with had heard of them all their lives. So to try and get them to forget something like um, Nights in White Satin, just forget how that goes. Mm -hmm. Read the notes and listen to where I'm going. And that's more than a notion. It's more difficult to unlearn than it is to learn. That's true. That's true. So when you performed at the Kennedy Center, did you feel that something was different immediately after? Could you feel the impact of having been seen by that many people? I knew what was getting ready to happen. You knew it. I had seen every Kennedy Center honor that they had. Yeah. And I knew it took no rehearsal in my mind, no Uh preparation. All I wanted them to do was tell me I could come. Right. And, sing. and it was, um, I, uh, I call it my, my Three Stooges slap. Uh, Barbara Streisand was sitting here, Aretha was sitting here, and Beyonce was sitting here. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Were you looking at them when you performed? No. Okay. <laughs> just look straight ahead? Well, I've, I've just at everybody. I tend to oh, got it. look okay. at my manager used to walk the audience because he knew I was going to be looking at him. Yeah. But I wasn't going to move out of that spot unless he moved. So he'd walk all over the audience and I'd walk the stage trying to find him till it became habit. Right. (laughs) It was very much like him working with a cute little puppy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So when you give a performance like that, though, when the biggest stars in the world are in the room and you slay them because you did, can you feel it? Well, I know what I'm doing at all times. Yeah, you know, but can you I feel know. It in the room? I are you like I you, got well, them. the audience was just like any other audience, so okay. I feel whatever I felt. Okay, but in terms of those people, 
Yeah. I knew what I was doing, and I knew what they were hearing. Okay. And I knew that they weren't prepared to hear what yeah. they were going to hear because Aretha and, well, Beyonce had never seen me. Aretha hadn't seen me perform in maybe 40 years. Oh, my gosh. Barbara Streisand, as she kept saying to Pete Townsend, <laughs> and so uh, it was. I, that was a great moment for me. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. I also bet you have a name that a lot of people know. It's like Betty Lavette. Yeah, and then they're like, "How do I know her?" And then well, they, they have a moment of connecting years, the music to the name with Betty Everett because oh, okay. her records were bigger. Yeah, and so they would immediately go to that. And then with Patti Labelle with the La, uh-huh. it would always get. Right. Discombobulated <laughs> in those names, you know. Right, right, right. But I figured at some point they let me have one of my own. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, all right, so the new album comes out at the end of this month. Why did you choose, Dylan, aside from people just telling you that you should? <laughs> my executive producer, Carol Friedman, who started out as an acquaintance, uh-huh. became a friend, yeah. then became my photographer for the last two albums, and... Um, is a great Bob Dylan fan and mm-hmm. a great Betty LaVette fan. And she had just wanted to see these two things together. Okay. And she had the um, wherewithal to hustle around and find somebody to buy the idea. Yeah. It just happened to be the biggest company in the world. There you go. <laughs> that doesn't hurt. Not at all. <laughs> I'm extremely excited. It's great. Um, what was I going to ask? Oh, so <clears throat> just about this album... I kind of want to ask you, just to kind of wrap up here, I know you're a big political person these days. You like to watch MSNBC, I read. That's your jam. Yeah. And in hearing you sing Dylan songs, it, you do add a kind of urgency to his lyrics, which can already be very political, and you make it feel very relevant again. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering if you, if you felt that recording his songs... That, um, like, no, I you know, actually after going back and looking at it, I realized how pertinent was how pertinent it was to what's going on today. What you were asking me early about the preparation or whatever, yeah. this actually I worked usually I find the song I like. I rarely learn them because I've had so many things recorded and never released. So I don't just have a whole bunch of words going around in my head for no reason. Right. If you ain't gonna put it out. I ain't going to learn it. Yeah. <laughs> but I learned the melody so I can put the words on top of it. Okay. This one, uh, I had to work on a long time because I had to change personalities and change. I had to actually change what had happened to somebody that just won a Nobel Peace Prize for writing. <laughs> I had to put his words in my mouth. And that was really difficult because he mostly doesn't say things I would say. So I had to take what he said and say it the way I would say it. Mm-hmm. And I had every time you, and then he has all these words too. So I mean, there was one song, I think I took about three or four verses out of, and there's still four verses left. Right. <laughs> you know, but what he does, he has his ongoing argument or, or complaint. Uh-huh. And then he says, well, like, and then another thing, and let me say it this way. And I'm like, get the best way to say it. And, <laughs> and go with that. And go with that. Yeah. So I went through all the songs, picked the best way out to get to the point. Yeah. But when you move one of his verses, they're almost like building blocks. Mm-hmm. When you move one of them, then you have to put them back together because mm-hmm. you can't just connect one 
to the other. So it really took, I spent more time on this than I've ever spent on anything because I too wanted it to sound as natural coming out of my mouth as my man or something that was written for me. Right. And you feel like you did it? Oh, yeah. Good. Very, very satisfied with it. Nice. Very satisfied with it. And then I had to understand what he meant so I could say what I meant about it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, you know, he speaks a lot in metaphors. Uh-huh. So I, in everywhere he does that, I just say exactly what he meant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which causes you to cuss a lot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Are politics making you cuss a lot these days? Um, Everybody's trying to. Give me to not take it so personally and just remain calm. <laughs> it's hard, right? It's but it very, is personal. Uh, it is personal. It is personal. It really, really is. I'm not. I'm not pleased at at all. I don't think that this is the way. I, I've always. I used to say like they ought to take because um, people were coming so fast to this country. Uh-huh. My manager and I used to joke and say they should take the Statue of Liberty and tip it over <laughs> so that it would be pointing like this. <laughs> but that is what this country is based upon. Yeah. And I've never seen it so blatantly attacked. I meant to attack it with a joke here and there is one thing, but mm. to see it physically attacked the way it is now is scary and certainly uh, scary for me as a black person. I don't know how many crazy people this crazy movement can get together, you know? I mean, supposing it gets crazy as it did when they decided um, we would have a civil war. Of course, uh, you have to remember that when they decided to do that before, everybody had a gun at home. But it did no good against the United States of America, and I don't think it'll do any good against (laughs) the United States of America now. I think we'll have the same result, and they'll have to start all over again. Yeah. Do you get involved, Do you, like, as an activist? Do you go to marches? Well, I don't now, but I yeah. did whenever, uh, my goodness. I was one of the, I was the first black in Michigan and one of the first blacks remaining to in the original Ross Perot movement. Oh, my gosh. I sung the national anthem at all of the little rallies and whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That is as involved as I've ever become. Okay. Would you my, do that uh, again? My or? manager was um, worked for EDS, which was owned by Ross Perot. Uh-huh. So I got a chance to hear a lot of his speeches even before he spoke publicly. Okay. And I fell in love with what he was saying to the EDS workers, and I like the worth work ethic Mm -hmm. and what he thought about American companies and whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got it. I really didn't get involved because of a political thing at first. Okay. No, I wouldn't do that again. No? No. (laughs) No. Okay, fair enough. I'd encourage someone else to do that. (laughs) Yeah, Well, the world needs music like yours, so that's your contribution. I'll sing sing as they march. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) That's perfect. That's amazing. Um, All right, so the album is called Things Have Changed. Out on March 30th. You're going to be playing some shows around a little yeah, bit on we'll the road? Yeah, we'll be doing the um, introduction of the album at the City Winery in Manhattan. And um, for the first month or so, I'll be doing the entire album straight down from top to bottom. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Any other stuff thrown in or just the album? Not right away. Okay. Then I'll start to pick the album apart and incorporate okay. it into the already existing show. Uh-huh. But I'd like to see how these tunes are going to work, which one is strongest, which one comes out live yeah, yeah. stronger, and then add them to the show. That's the pragmatic Betty Levette. <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
Just figure out the formula. There figure out go. what works. There go after go. it. Yeah. All right, Betty, thank you so much for coming on oh, the show. Oh, Jesse, thank you for having me, of baby. Course. And good luck to you with the show. Thank you. Away from myself as I can. Something that just too hard to touch. The human mind can only stand so much. You just can't win with a losing hand. A lot of water under the bridge. A lot of other stuff too. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.